Welcome, this is Dr. Lyle Boland with Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is a limited edition podcast, and you can find out more about us at alleninvestments.com. We're going to have some interesting thought-provoking, I hope, for you today to think about here. And I want to start off with sort of, you may have heard of this in the past, but there's sort of this four stages of development that all of us go through, no matter what job we have, what kind of life we have, where we are in the pecking order. But first off, I hope we all realize that we all are supposed to be really good stewards of whatever assets that we have in our care, whether we're talking about our personal life or our professional life. I hope that makes sense so far. If I've lost you now and you disagree, you might as well turn it off because we got nothing more to say. Okay. But I'm going to assume we're okay. However, even if we have taken courses, read books, Listen to podcasts. The reality is often different from whatever our good intentions might have been. So today I want to kind of walk you through the four stages that I think are important of becoming a good steward and avoid all the psychological behavioral pitfalls that so many of us keep from each one of us reaching our real potential and effectively serving those around us. Is this, does this sound I, interesting? I'll at tell this you point? what. You know what? I'm always excited to be on your podcast, Dr. Bolin. Um, it's a privilege. Well, thank you. I don't you. say that about everybody's podcast, do I, John? No, and Holland's going to be furious. Yeah, I know he is. <laughs> I, he doesn't listen to us, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we're, we're really excited, though, both John, our producer, and myself to be able to join you on this. Well, thank you. Well, let's jump in then. What's the very first stage that everybody goes through? You're unconsciously incompetent. I've been called that a lot. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, there are still some days, I, I know. think. You don't even know you don't know. Right. And that's, you know, that's a miserable place to be, right? Maybe not for you because you don't know, but everybody around you thinks, man, this person has no clue what they don't know, do they? So it's not... As simple as um, ignorance is bliss is what I'm kind of gathering from this. Well, at this point, ignorance is bliss to the individual, but not to anybody around you. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Now we're going to go to a second stage, and I'm going to elaborate. Okay. But second stage, you become consciously incompetent. So now you know what you don't know. Exactly. You realize, I'm clueless. Again, every day. (laughs) (laughs) Are there demographics around these two? Because I hope you're going to share that. Well, there there are. Okay. I was in this stage for 40 years. How many years? 40 40 years. 40 years. Well, I think I'm still there, honestly. Well, of course you're still there, John. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) Well, I'm going to put you on the fast track here today. Thank you. I appreciate that. Then, as you might guess, the third stage is you become consciously competent. Wow, I I know what I know. I know I don't know everything, but at least I know what I know. Now, this, as I said, this has to go with learning your job. It may be coursework you're taking. It may be how to get along with your partner. Okay. By the way, that one takes the longest. I'll have been married 50 years this fall. I'm still working wow. on that stage. So essentially what you're telling us, and by the way, I think everybody understands that if you've been married before, um, is that you can be consciously competent in different aspects of your life while you are unconsciously 
competent in other factors, right? You, you can be in each one of these four stages in different Simultaneously. Areas. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think I got number two wrapped up though most of my life. Well, thank right. you. <laughs> Anything so far, I can so do good. to help. Anything I can do to help. Appreciate that. Now, in particularly in your in your most important part of your professional life and your personal life, you want to get to stage four. And that's when you are unconsciously competent. You don't even have to think about the right decision. This is where other people look at you and go, wow, that was really using your intuition. You're really intuitive. You, you don't know why you knew. You just knew. That, you know, that's great. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> well, and, and I taught for a lot of years, so I'm going to kind of give you the example that I've, I've used with students over the last 35-plus years. Your journey begins unconsciously incompetent, and no matter what you're talking about. I use this to describe college freshmen. They don't know what they don't know, and what they think they know, they don't know. They don't know. So entering, you don't know anything about your field of study. Somebody has told you you ought to be a nurse, you ought to be an accountant, you ought to be a psychology major. Somebody's told you it sounds good, but you don't know. And then if you're really lucky... You reach the second stage by the time you graduate. <laughs> yeah. Four years, four years to get consciously incompetent. That's, that's a great Somehow thing for just, new job seekers, so isn't I know it? consciously, that just sounds like you're standing still, mm-hmm. really. Yes. That's just, I mean, when you put it in those four kind of... Um, put, call them boxes. Buckets, yeah, whatever. Four buckets, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, this is really interesting because I have a question for you about intuition because basically what I heard you say is intuition is learned. So yes. I hope we get to that. I'm trying to jump ahead there. Boy, you are. So it, you've gone four years. You really still don't know much about the real skills you're going to need in your chosen career. You really don't, even if you've done an internship. But you do know you don't know what you need to know, right? I mean, you, you think you're ready. Now, After several years on your first full-time job, you reach the third stage of development, at least I hope you do, where you're consciously competent. I think of this in terms, again, I've got a finance background in accounting, and so I'm going to put this in terms of an accounting major that's going to be an auditor, and they're going to go out and they're going to learn to be an audit. Well, the big firms love to hire new college graduates that are accounting majors in auditing and they put them out there and the first two years you're learning how to do an audit and after two years you may have learned how to do an audit and you also may have learned why did i ever think i wanted to be an accountant <laughs> well that's a valuable thing to learn at a, at an early age at in an your early career age and the big firms know that because they can just keep grinding people up their first two or three years mm-hmm. that the new crop comes out. Because they don't have a lot of dollars because invested. Because they don't have a lot of dollars invested. Mm-hmm. So the, the industry often has a, and I just used accounting because that's the one I'm most familiar with, but every industry, you serve apprenticeship time, you are like on your six, first six months, whatever that is. That's where they're seeing, do you have the ability to become consciously competent? And those that don't, you either self-select out or they weed you out. So that, that's an important third stage. The bad news is, is for most people, 
This is where you spend your entire career. And so it's not a bad thing, but after this break, I want us to come back and unpack that as to what you need to do to really get at your full potential. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is your host, Dr. Lyle Bolin. And we've been talking about different levels of competency. And when we left off, we'd gotten to being consciously competent. But there's one more stage to get the full potential of what you really have been called to reach, and that is being unconsciously competent. This is where you've developed intuition and you think outside the box. You know, you'll get an idea that has nothing to do with the stream of your job, but all of a sudden you'll say, oh, wait, I can use that here. I don't know why I can use that here, but I know I can. And that, and that goes back to your original learning, whether it was in school or whether it was just through experience. Along the way, if you're going to reach this stage of intuition, there's something else you have to learn. And that is... An old saying that I have corrupted a little bit is that you are a jack of all trades and a master of none. Right? Well, I, I take slight issue with that. I prefer to say you're a jack of all trades and a master of one. Where you've been called in your career or in your personal life is that one area where you really are passionate and you know you're supposed to learn. But I would argue you can't become unconsciously competent if all you learn is your field. It's what you've learned from other fields along the way that you can then make those connections to bring them in to where you are an expert. So, for example, my career is finance. I have spent years and years learning about investments, learning about finance, learning that there are no future facts in investments. But I started out with a very broad interest in physics, in psychology, and in history. Those were three other areas that I loved, even though I knew I wasn't called in any one of those. Well, it turns out a lot of things in physics have a direct application to how finance works. Behavior in psychology has everything to do with how finance works. But if you went back to read finance literature 30 years ago, nobody talked about behavior in finance. It was all quantitative. Well, that was entirely wrong. We've come to discover behavior actually is how people make decisions. But if you haven't ever taken any psychology, that's not something you're ever going to go, aha, I see how that behavior is applying to what's going on in the marketplace. History. I love history. Well, because I've read a lot of history over the years, I see parallels to previous eras where things aren't exactly the same, but similar enough that I can then, they'll come into my thought process without me even thinking about it. And that's what I think is kind of that fourth, fourth level of intuition. You've unconsciously had the ability to pull on other things and other experiences to apply to where you're an expert. If all you've ever done is the one thing, you're not going to be able to develop that intuition. At least I don't think you will. 
So that makes really good sense. I would ask the question then, how many people do you suppose ever get to that fourth level, that instinctual level? I mean, and, and there may, I'm sure there are studies on it, and I didn't, I'm getting you blind here, um, but based on what you've read, based on what you understand, what would you guess that to be? It's probably no more than 10 or 15% tops. Really? And it's, it's people that are naturally curious. How many, people that you know that are naturally curious have the highest likelihood of doing this. The problem with people that are naturally curious is finding that one. Well, and they get bored, too. That's the other thing. That's part of the reason I think they seek additional outlets or inlets, if you you will, of information. No, I agree. I think Mm -hmm. think that's a really valid point. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about these sort of things where ideas will just come to you and you haven't got really an immediate explanation for why it came to you, I think there's even one more stage that you, now, you will see these four things written about. I, I didn't make these up, right? The fifth one that I'm about to give you is mine, okay? So because it's mine, I can give it its own name, all right? And so what I call the next stage is quantum competence. Quantum competence. It sounds like a movie trailer or something like Ooh, that. Ooh, like, I like, like that Bruce idea. Bruce Willis and like somebody's going to brought quantum incompetence. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yes. So again, uh, people that know me know that I'm a very deeply religious person. And so I tend to think of things sort of part of it's in reality and part of it is spiritual. And I, and I put it in terms of, of listening to the Holy Spirit. And what I talk about in quantum competence is when you have, when you've been a good servant and you've done your best and you've learned your, your, where you're called and where your passion is, and you have that one, and you've started to have that ability to bring other things in, that's if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, it does exactly the same thing, only at an out of three dimension reality that you're doing by the things you've learned in other fields it's now giving you things outside of time and outside of reality that will trigger thoughts that there is absolutely no explanation for why you would have ever thought of it. Divine intervention, divine intervention. I thought that's what you were going to name it. Honestly, I knew where you were going when you said the fifth one, it dawned on me, the only piece that wasn't missing. and And that really is, that is the divine intervention. And that occurs when you are sort of in that sweet spot. Right. You're doing what you've been called to do. You've been a good steward. You've learned your craft. You've tried to be really good by using outside things if you can. And this this happens over time. It's not that the Holy Spirit isn't talking to you from the time you can listen, but the impact that it can have expects us to do our part. Which is listen. Which is listen. So when we are calm and listening. And that's when you get these sort of inspirations. Mm-hmm that there's no other explanation for why you thought of it. I, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I know there have been those moments when you feel like everything is, it's usually in the middle of a, you know, what kind of show and you're looking around and going, okay, where did this come from? And why am I getting to experience it? Those are my first two questions, but it becomes very fascinating. And I think it's something that, 
Hopefully it will come to you sooner, John, because mm-hmm. you are younger. But I think it does come with age and it does come with experience. And you eventually slow down enough to say, yeah. okay, there's a reason it is happening. I think for me it was or is when those moments occur is the realization that there's a reason that it is happening here now and oh, to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's when I get still, which can be challenging, but when I get still, I think I do get that message. I do get that sense. It, it's a comforting feeling. It's just the challenge of the human getting to that place of stillness. Yeah, I think a lot of times in the corporate world, firms that have people that are at that stage that are leading a company, whether it's a small firm, whether it's a large firm, um, I'm, I'm going to steal a title from a book of over 20 years ago, but I, I think it applies to these kind of companies. They become firms of endearment. If you're old enough to remember, there was a movie, Terms of Endearment. Sure. Well, I think they become firms of endearment because when, when you're in that spot, you probably are serving your customers, your employees, everybody to the best of your ability. Or you, it's that enlightenment that hits that, that can come in with that. Um, so we may want to unpack that a little bit more, but uh, this would be a good time for you to stop and think for just a minute while we go to break. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This week, I'm your host, Dr. Lyle Bolin, and glad to have you along for the ride. Let's take a little different tack now for a few minutes. I assume a lot of you have heard, maybe, maybe not, but a little bit. You know about the power of compounding, compounding interest. Not confounding interest, but compounding interest. And there is what's called the rule of 72. Okay, has nothing to do with your age, has nothing to do with the year you graduated from high school, wasn't the number. Or how on... much money is in your checking account. No, no, yeah. yeah. Or, or you the have number... access to my bank statements. That's <laughs> cool. Though. Or yeah. the number on your football jersey in high school, okay? But it states that any amount you invest, and then if you take 72 and divide by that interest rate, that tells you how long it will take to double your money. Okay. So, for example, if you put your money into a checking account that pays you one half of 1% in interest, you will have $2,000 144 years from now. Look at that, just in time for the for retirement party. Exactly. <laughs> Which will now cost about. $25,000, yeah, and sure. that's for only about 10 of your closest friends. <laughs> yes, yes. So it doesn't compound real fast if you've got it there. Um, historically, inflation, even though it's been lower for many years, we see higher inflation now, certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, historically, it's averaged about 4%, which means that on average, prices will double. 72 divided by 4 is 18 every 18 years. Now, for those of you that are a little younger, John, I'll refer to you. Let's say you've got a grandfather Mm -hmm. uh, who's a little bit older 
and you got out on your very first job, and I'm just going to make up a number for argument's sake here for making it easy. And let's say you end up making 50000 a year, mm-hmm. and you tell your grandfather that your very first job, fresh out of college, is you're making 50000 a year. At which point, what would your grandfather probably reminisce about? Well, well, he talking about how his first job was, you know, I paid me a nickel a day for, you know, <laughs> working the coal mine or whatever yeah, it was. <laughs> exactly. 50000 a year. I mean, that, for after he picks himself up off the ground, you mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, let's go back to my example of compounding at 4% a year on average. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that your grandfather is 54 years older than you. So, you know, if you're in your early 20s, late 70s. Sure. All right. So now the 50,000 a year you're getting, if I go back in time, we're going to divide that three times to get to what that salary was when they got their first job. So 50 divided by one once is 25,000. Cut it in half again is 12,500. Cut it in half again, that would be $6,250. Wow. For their first job to be equivalent to what 50,000 is today. Our brains don't get around that. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. It's like now your first job is 50,000. To have an equivalent job for your grandson or granddaughter in 54 years is going to have to go from 50 to 100 to 200 to 400,000. Wow. By the way, does that tell you how far a million dollars will go <laughs> if you, re- if you retire? 54, yeah. yeah, 54 years. That how how long will a million dollars last if an average salary, starting salary, sure. is four hundred thousand a year? Yeah. So maybe Scrooge McDucking it isn't a good idea with that big vault of gold. Maybe you should diversify. <laughs> Possibly a little bit. not. Yeah. Possibly <laughs> not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, hey, who knows? We we it may not even be used for jewelry at that point. Right. I mean, who knows what will happen? But again, it's. I cannot overemphasize how important the power of compounding is in our lives. And let me let me give you another little example here. If you were going to be saving for your for your first house. Now here's where inflation just takes a big bite out of you. Mm-hmm. And, and even though you know sort of it does, but let me let me use this example. <clears throat> You're going to save for your first house, and let's say it's going to be a nice house. It's going to be three hundred thousand. Sure. You're, you're going to get a three hundred thousand dollar house, and they're going to want twenty percent down. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to have to have saved sixty thousand dollars for that first house. Did you do that right off the top of the dome? Yeah. I'm sorry. Wow. That's okay. impressive. That's a good idea. <laughs> so <laughs> so now you've got sixty thousand, and let's say you're making that fifty. Okay. Okay. Now, inflation, and I'm going to keep it simple. Let's say it's only 3%. And your salary goes up 3%. Oh, life is good, right? I got a 3% raise this year. I haven't had any in two years. This is wonderful. So 3% of that $50,000 is $1,500 more you're going to get a year. Nice. Not bad. Yeah. The price of your house also went up 3%. And I'm going to say it only went up 3%. We know what housing prices have done lately, right? Right. 
So it went up $9,000 to now $309,000. All right. That $9,000, 20% of that is $1,800. you got to come up with another $1,800 on your down payment. Wow. Your raise was only $1,500 a year. You just fell $300 farther behind. Oh, by the way, your mortgage rate also went up by 1% because of inflation. And so what your mortgage payment would have been at 4% for 240000 and compare that to what it's now going to be for 247200 mm-hmm. <laughs> at 5% is $1,800 more a year. $150 a month your house payment just went up. So now that wonderful $1,500 a year you're getting costs you another $1,800 to put money down on the house and you're going to spend $1,800 extra a year for 30 years because of what inflation did by going up 1%. So you're trailing the cost of living. You always fall behind the cost of living mm-hmm. unless you're getting promotions. But I'm just saying simply being in a position and getting normal sort of raises, you fall farther and farther behind. If for no other reason, if you're making 50000 and you go up 3%, you made 1500 more a year. But something that you wanted to buy that was 300000 goes up 3%, it goes up by $9,000. Mm-hmm. I can't make that 1500 reach 9000 Do you think people nowadays, because I remember when we, you know, as a younger person in, in corporate America, we would receive a raise and it was sometimes called a COLA, which of course is the cost of living thing, um, but where the cost of living is outpacing what that COLA is, do you think people really grasp that whole concept that you're not really getting a raise. They're just trying to keep you at par. Yeah. Our behavior is that we we're making more money, but, but we're not really our buying power. Right. In other words, going up. we are acting out and we are making more purchases. Right. And so we spend more. Right. Okay. And because we're spending more, we end up falling farther behind. So if we got, you know, pretty good sense of, I feel good about this. I got a raise. I notice prices are going up, but I don't realize that I'm actually digging a hole. And so the only way I think that you can kind of make up for that over time is you you really need to try to find kind of where's your risk profile? How risky are you? And based on that, where are there options that over time, my money that I can set aside can grow faster than inflation, at least has a chance of growing faster than inflation. And that's, that's one of the ways that, that at least with the power of compounding, you can, you can find ways to, to actually get ahead of it. Now, th- this, is, this might take us a little off topic. I mean, it's still on topic, but my, my concern as, as a younger person, right, because it's easy to think, okay, well, you got to save for retirement. Everyone thinks, oh, you got to put money in your 401k and then do things to diversify your, your portfolio and make sure that you keep up with inflation. What I'm running up against as someone who is, you know, late 20s, early 30s is, okay, the cost of living is going up. The rate that you're getting raises may not keep up with that. So the thought process is, okay, put money aside. Well, what money am I going to have to live if everything starts increasing now? No, exactly. And I, I think 
That is a really good question for everybody to think about that you just asked. So let's take a break here while everybody sort of lets that sink in. And then when we come back, let's see if we can find an answer to that. We'll be right back in a minute. Welcome back to our very last segment here of Beyond Dollars and Cents. I'm your host, Dr. Lyle Bolin, and I hope your brain isn't hurting yet as we've been discussing several different things, and I want to try to tie them together here. One of the dilemmas that was just brought up before the break is, okay, I know I need to save. I know I need to try to find something to beat inflation, but you know what? I got bills to pay. I've got, you know, I've got rent. I've got mortgage payment. I've got food, everything, insurance. Mm -hmm. And those Xbox games aren't cheap. And they're not. (laughs) Do you... Do you see how much that latest one is? Unbelievable. How $60, much is it? Yeah. Yeah. 60? Yeah, 60 for, bucks for this yeah. the latest version of, of Call of Duty. And, right. Oh my I, was pay- I thought I was paying that when my son was playing. Though. He's still oh, playing no, no. those games. No, they were oh, $49.95 was it back then. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought that was bad. Yeah, then no. now you have the, like, the ultimate editions that'll run you 100 And they're 100 bucks. Yeah. 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 I am so bad at those. No, I'm telling you. My wife made me take my Xbox and put it in the den. <laughs> are, you yelling, are you yelling at the I, Xbox? I yell at the Xbox. Everybody yells at the yeah. Xbox. She won't let me play in the living room anymore. Yeah. Right. That's unbelievable. I have to shut the door, put it in the den, and she usually takes the dog for a walk. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I... Yeah, that's unbelievable. My girlfriend actually she likes when I play Xbox. She'll like she she's like kind of zones out and does like something on her phone, but she's like just having me in the room. Well, I was like I don't mind going to the no, computer Linda, room. Linda starts want, reading. Ah, yeah, she yeah, yeah, yeah. puts on headphones. Sure, and read, yes. Call, yeah. This falls under one of those competencies. I'm it, pretty yeah, sure. I think it is, and I am, I am consciously incompetent there when it go. comes to Xbox. I will absolutely admit it. All my former students used to come over and play me, and they would they never laughed so loud as to watch me try to play Xbox. Yeah, but you got the final laugh with the grading book. I did. I did. <laughs> I said, just remember, I am taking notes, and this goes on your grade. <laughs> well, anyway, when, back to what we're, we're talking about, how hard it is. And it is hard mm-hmm. because a lot of people, if you, if you really are risk-averse, you don't want to take a lot of risk to get to that. You'd, you'd be happy just staying even. But, right. but I think the key gets back to what we talked about in the very first segment. And that is finding where you're called, where your talent is, where your passion is. And as you develop that skill, that's going to allow you to make those jumps where you're not just going up 3% a year. You're getting those jumps based on your talent and following that path to where now you have some money to set aside that you wouldn't have otherwise had if, if you're just sitting still. I, I love to do one example in my classes. And I taught for a lot of years at a Christian university. So this was a really good example that I could use. A lot of students that would come in that were theology majors. I shouldn't pick on theology majors, but these were the ones that used to to pick on me and ask me tough questions. And they'd say, look, why should I save for the future? My church needs money. I need to tithe. And if I tithe, I don't have any money to invest. You know, and that's important to me. Why should I try to make a lot of money over my life? You know, that's, that's not what I'm really being called to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I pull up this example and I went, okay, I, here's, here's going to be the example. You're going to tithe 10% of your salary every year. And I set up a spreadsheet and we're going to have that tithe. And I said, but on top of that, you're going to find a way. Now, for example, 
if you've got a 401k with a match, that'll help. But I said, I want you to find where you can pay another 10% aside for retirement. And then I want you, since you're, you're taking care of business and you're tithing and you got a good job, and I put in that you assume on average you make 4% a year more, that kind of covers normal promotions over a career, spreads it out. And I said, you're going you're gonna to earn... On average, if you just put this in an overall market, just I'm just going to call it the market, and you put it in the market, historically over the last 90 years, over a long period of time, that average is about 10%. Beats inflation by about 6 Okay? Now, I, I, you can give me another number and we'll do the data. I can change it in the spreadsheet real easy. But let's just, let's just walk through and see what that means. And so we go through the spreadsheet, and I assume they work for 40 years, and then they were ready to retire. And what happens is that the amount of money I say, all right, let's take that salary you made in your very last year, and let's hope that what we now have saved, I can now pull that amount out, that salary out, every year for 25 more years. So let's say if you retire at 65 I can pull my last year's salary out for 25 years. Now, your expenses should go down, so inflation shouldn't eat into that too much. Let's let's just see what the numbers are. And so we run the I, I pull up the spreadsheet. I've got it up on up on the screen, and it turns out that they can indeed, if they have saved that other 10 percent, they can indeed pull out that last year's salary for 25 years. Now. Here's sort of the aha moment. I said, now let's over here on this last column, let's add up everything you have tithed over those 40 years. And here's the number. And I show them the number. Now I said, the number I showed you that you were going to pull out your salary for 25 years, I hope you may have noticed I didn't use everything that you had saved up. At that point, at that point, you could now take and give to your church or to whatever organization you wanted to exactly twice what you have tithed over those 40 years in a one-time contribution and still pull out your ending salary for 25 years. That's the power of compounding, and that's when, when God calls us to be stewards of the assets he gives us, I think he assumes we're going to follow that tithe and take care of current needs. But think about the good for the kingdom that people can do that are the good stewards with that other 10%. It's, it's remarkable because not only would that give you that ability, but I think all of us realize that over time, there's going to be times when there's an emergency. And usually emergencies come with dollar signs applied. It may be somebody in the family. It may be accident. Who knows? You don't know. There are no future facts, right? But if you have been a good steward over time, you can still pull into that to cover those emergencies that if you weren't, you wouldn't be able to help. And I think God knows that he's preparing certain people to be in a position to help when those emergencies come up. 
Not that you're going to necessarily give two or three times what you've saved at one lump, but that you're going to be able to meet emergencies that other people can't at certain points in your life. It may be different campaigns. It may be being able to give aid to what's going on in Ukraine, for example. There's going to be times where you're going to be called upon that if you've been a good steward, that you're going to have that ability to meet those things. So if you think about the story that we've sort of put together today, I want you to develop competency. I want you to develop your skill set. I want you to listen to what's going on in the world around you. And then you become that good steward to do the very best you've been called to do. And then the amount of lives you can touch as a result of that gets multiplied over and over and over. Does that make sense at all? Makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope I've inspired you to think about doing some things like this. You know, we've got you know opportunities, and it doesn't matter how old you are to start these. Once you get started, you're going to be able to make an impact. Everybody, remember the old saying, "No pain, no gain." Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm even going to mess with that one a little bit. Okay. There was research. Somebody I really admired their work. Uh, one of them's actually passed away now, but Kahneman and Tversky, going clear back into the 70s, found out, which won't come as a surprise to anybody, but they actually researched, documented to the degree that people hate to lose about twice as much as they like to gain. So the amount of pleasure you get by making a dollar is exactly equal to the pain you feel in not losing a dollar, but in losing two dollars. Again, that's human nature. So if you think about investing and being a good steward in general, you have to also, I think, in your background, understand that anytime I lose, I'm going to feel twice as much pain as that same thing that I gained. So if I made 20% one year, I feel pretty good. But if I lose 10%, I feel just as bad as I lost the 20 which helps you kind of define what your level of risk aversion is, exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. Risk isn't making money, okay? If we talk about standard deviation, I'm sorry, I had to say that word. I just, it's an evil term. It's an evil <laughs> word. But if I think about standard deviation, it puts the same amount of quote-unquote risk on the upper end of doing well as it does on the bad end of losing. Okay, nobody feels bad if something they've done made money. That That's not... You don't think of that as risk. Right. So understanding this ratio of two to one, I think, helps everybody understand what their real risk profile is. And, and so, well, you know, if I, lose, if I lose a little bit, I'm all right. Well, think about it. Are you or are you not? And when you think about this, I hope you understand the way we actually make choices in life isn't the same way that we may have learned in school. Hmm. Because according to pure finance theory, a dollar gain and a dollar lost is exactly the same because we all put them into our little calculators, our little quantitative calculators. And if the numbers say they're right, they can't possibly be wrong because I put the numbers in. That's what it says. I should feel the same either way. Right? It's sort of, and the more precise I can be, the more, the smarter I sound. I made 12.63% last year. Does that not sound like I was more precise than, ah, around Mm -hmm. 10? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Right? Okay. And so one of the beautiful things about this is that that people take advantage of their entire lives is 77% of all statistics are made up on the spot. I've heard that, yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. So here's the dilemma. As data has become so much more prevalent, we're using more and more of it to project economic growth and feel that we must be better in the past because we have so much more information, right? And so if we've got all this information, it's a human bias to consider the more recent past as more representative of the world as it is now. So if we think about there's a high correlation between how the GDP has been growing and job growth, then we ignore the technological changes that have changed that link along the way. And so there's so many places, if you haven't got experience, and think that you lose your way. I hope you don't lose your way. I hope this gives you some things to think about. It has been my privilege to share some time with you. Beyond Dollars and Cents, signing off. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC.